Good morning. I'd like to read a small portion of scripture that will be the focus of what I'm going to be talking about this morning, but it's going to take some introduction. But I'll read the scripture to you first, and then we'll go through the introduction, okay, and hope you don't get lost through the introduction. But it's in Exodus chapter 21. And it starts, it's actually, it's just the first six verses of Exodus 21. Now I'll read it to you. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, <clears throat> I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awe. And he shall serve him forever. There are some interesting uh, customs that the Lord lays out here. Uh, uh, procedures in terms of slavery. In particular, Hebrew slavery. A Hebrew man or Hebrew woman who becomes a slave. And uh, this is one that we'll, we'll dwell on uh, in a few minutes, but just a few words of introduction. If you were poor, one of the options you had to get money is to sell yourself to somebody as their slave. Okay, and it was highly regulated. It was not the, the brutal American form of slavery that we read so much about. It was pretty regulated. In fact, it was for a limited period of time, six years and uh, then you were free. And during that time, you were fed. Uh, you had a place to live. If you came in with your wife at the end of the six years, you'd go out with your wife. If you uh, came in and you, you liked your master and he liked you and gave you a wife, then uh, you could have children. But at the end, you leave all that behind. What you came in with, that's what you leave with. That was the custom. This idea of being, so in the meantime, you could be redeemed. Somebody could step up and pay for you to be free from your bondage if, 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 you had, if they had the money, if it was a relative. Uh, and this idea of also being liberated from some bad situation uh, permeates not only in terms of slavery, but also property. And I don't know if you recall the story of the book of Ruth. But Ruth and her husband Elimelech, Elimelech went to Moab because it was, a, it was a time of famine in Israel. And he died. Uh, the sons got married there. They died. And the only one who comes back with Naomi back to Israel is Ruth. Naomi is broke. So she sells some of Elimelech's land 
And if you go over to the book of Ruth, there's a, a little verse, I'll read it to you. Uh, I guess they, they become acquainted with Boaz. And Boaz said to, the close to a close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to her brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back. He had the right to redeem it. Let me use that word, because I'll be using it a lot this morning. He could redeem that property back to himself, back to the family, because uh, he was a relative. There was a relative who was closer, who had the first option. And Boaz challenged him because he kind of fell in love with Ruth, if you know the story. And, uh, and Naomi kind of gave Ruth, you know, they kind of worked it out, these ladies, how it would work out. But Boaz fell in love with Ruth, and he thought this is the way she could become my wife. Because there was another custom that if someone died, a relative had to, buy, uh, to marry that same woman to raise up children for that family. They won't do that today. Uh, but in those days, all these customs were laid out. And Boaz wanted, Neo, uh, wanted Ruth for his wife, and so he offers himself. And he's called uh, what the Bible calls a kinsman redeemer. In other words, he's a relative, and he's going to redeem uh, this land back, this property back to uh, Naomi's family. Let's go over just for a second to Leviticus chapter 25. It talks about some of these customs that the Lord laid out. First, 25, first verse we'll read is verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. And the Sabbath, what he meant was that uh, not only was a week, at the end of a week, a Sabbath, uh, six days and a Sabbath day, there was going to be like six years and a Sabbath year. And in, in addition to that, and this all started when they came into the land, okay, this period of uh, six years, the seventh is a Sabbath, the land lays fallow. And in addition, uh, like, liking the number seven, after seven of these uh, sabbatical years, there'd be a 50th year called the Jubilee. That was the custom. Every 50th year, everything would be restored to the way it was when they entered the land. All the families would get their property back. Uh, any slaves were, were free to go. Uh, it was the year of Jubilee. So, uh, and I guess the, the next thing I'd like to explain, I'm sorry this is kind of complicated because I'm trying to put, give some background to this, but if you were poor, uh, you could sell yourself to not only uh, a Hebrew or a Jewish person, but you could sell, to, sell yourself to someone who was not a Jewish person. And that's what I want to dwell on for a second because the, the option included the fact that you could be redeemed. Yes, you're in slavery, but somebody could redeem you, okay, with money or power. They could, they could redeem you. And this is the way it goes in verse 47 of this chapter of Leviticus. It's getting to the point of redemption. What does it mean to be redeemed? And either you've lost your property due to poverty or you've lost your freedom due to poverty and you need to be redeemed. 
So in verse 47, verse 47 of Leviticus chapter 25 says, now if a sojourner or a stranger close to you becomes rich and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor <clears throat> and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him or anyone who is near of kin to him or his family may redeem him, or if he is able, he may redeem himself. Thus, he who reckoned with him who bought him, the price of his release shall be according to the number of years from the year that he was sold to him until the year of Jubilee. That's how you determine the price, the value of something, because at the year of Jubilee, all went free. You're going to proclaim liberty, it's going to happen at the Jubilee. So if it's the year before the Jubilee, uh, it won't cost much to redeem somebody because you only have them for another year. If it's 48 years until the next Jubilee, it's going to cost a lot to redeem them because they have a lot of value for those 48 years. So that's how you determine the value of something was how many years were left to the, to the Jubilee. And that's what the rest of this describes. So the whole point is, you're trapped if you've sold yourself into, into slavery. Uh, uh, to an, uh, you, don't get this, you don't get the six years benefit if you sold yourself to a Hebrew, okay? You get, you get, uh, you're there the whole 40, 50 years, okay? Unless the, by the way, I found uh, an interesting commentary. This fellow went back to the writings of a, a Hebrew scholar, a Jewish scholar named Josephus, and some of you may have heard of him. He lived about the time of the first century, so there's a lot of history from the Jewish perspective of Christianity in his writings. But he determined when the Sabbath year was and when the Jubilee would be uh, around 27 BC. And this commentator went and did a lot of calculations. And it turns out that 2013, the year we're living in this year, would have been a Sabbath year. Interesting, huh? And the year 2028, would have been the nearest jubilee. So in other words, if you sold yourself into poverty today, uh, 2020, that would be, what, 15 more years of slavery before you were set free automatically through this process of the jubilee, unless you were redeemed. Somebody could redeem you. You know, in a lot of ways, we're, we're delivered into poverty by the world, you know, that you're, you're trapped by the appeal of the world and the advertising of the world. You're trapped because of the weakness of our flesh, uh, trapped into uh, sexual immorality, uh, lusting after things that God, in his wisdom, lets us do it, but we're trapped, we're slaves to that. And so we're familiar with slavery in that form of being slaves uh, to Satan or the world or the flesh. And there are things that we do that we seem to have no control over because we're trapped. And God knows that. And so God has himself provided a redeemer, one to bring us out of that, the penalty of it, the power of it, and soon the presence of it. And that's part of the, that's the gospel message. That being, a, you know, I, I, I kind of wondered, I've read a lot of books about what it was like to be a slave in America. It was awful. 
but to be, a, and we're kind of stuck that way, and I'll get more into this a little bit later. You're there for your life. You cannot be, re, I guess you could be bought and sold, but it's not like a brother can come along and pay for you to get out. But Jesus has paid a debt for the sin that, was, that we've done, and not only paid the debt, but he gave us the power of the Holy Spirit to break those bonds, you know, free at last. Free at last. I mean, it's a wonderful speech by uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And the, the fresh, the, he used that hymn, you know, free at last, free at last. Thank God I'm free at last. And that's the way I felt when I got saved, exactly the way I felt. I was free from a bondage, the fear of death, the fear of judgment to come after I died. And lo and behold, a lot of the problems I had in my life, I was freed from those as well. Okay? So slavery is a real issue. We don't talk about it in terms of being bound to a master here, but we're bound to things that we seem to have no control over. And the only person who can break us free of that is the Lord Jesus Christ is God working through his son, the power of the word in our lives. Jesus, for us, became a, a human being. Okay? He had to become a kinsman. He was a kinsman redeemer, and I'll just share with you in a few verses why we, we, we can call him a kinsman redeemer. In Hebrews 2 and 14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, so that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So he took on flesh and blood. The God took on, God was incarnate as a man. He became a kinsman redeemer. Next, the kinsman redeemer had to be able to redeem, and Jesus could do that. He was the good shepherd. He was willing to give his life for his sheep. And the redemption took place when our Redeemer paid the just demand in full. We are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Redeemed. All right, part of this message this morning comes about because I've been reading, you know, I don't know if you read the, look at the daily bread but it, it, uh, it tells you what to read each day for, to get through the Bible in a year. And I just finished Job, and I started this in July. I said, you know, my, my, my Bible study is kind of thrashing. So I said, I'm going to go through the Bible in a year, you know. And so uh, we just finished Job, okay. And one of Job's the best expressions was, I know that my Redeemer lives. And it got me thinking, my Redeemer, my Redeemer. And here we have one who did redeem us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and eventually soon the presence of sin. But to make him our redeemer recalls, calls for a step on our part. And that's where we go back to the Hebrew servant. And we'll go back to that now in, in Exodus chapter 21. So you see the process, you have a slave, you can be a slave to a passion, something that you're ashamed of, and yet there's a redeemer 
And once you're redeemed, you're free. Okay, you can see that the process, the same as a Hebrew slave is a slave. He can be redeemed, and then he's free. There are four ways that a Hebrew servant could wind up in that situation as being a slave. Uh, in extreme poverty, they could sell their freedom. And we noticed, we read that in Leviticus chapter 25. That's what happened there. He sold himself to a person who was not a Jew. So he was stuck there unless he could find a kinsman redeemer. A father could sell his daughter as a servant into a home with the intention that she would eventually marry into that family. Third way is in a case of bankruptcy, a man might become a slave to his creditors. And lastly, if a thief had nothing with which to pay proper restitution, he'd have to pay as a, uh, become a slave. Normally, the Hebrew slave was, it was a chosen situation, especially if he was in poverty. It was for a limited duration and it was highly regulated. He's bound for six years. And we've just been reading in Hebrews chapter 21, verse 3. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. And so uh, all the obligations are fulfilled. If he did get married while he was there, the wife would stay. The kids would stay with him. And, uh, you know, I don't know how, how you would feel about this. Uh, it would be an interesting question to ask you if this was an interactive Bible study. But if you lived for someone for six years and they were kind to you, they fed you nice, they treated you nice, you might say, well, you, you got two attitudes. One is, I want to get out of here and live my life. You know, that's, you could feel that way. And if you have a wife and kids, bye, wife, bye, kids, I'm off to see the world. I want to do some more. I mean, that's, that's right. I'm sure a lot of people had that attitude. Another attitude could be, well, my master's been kind to me. And I have a wife I love. I have kids I love. I love my master. I think I'll stay. And he had that option. That was so beautiful here. Because if he, if he he didn't have that option. He would leave and, you know, six years of his life gone and off he goes. So in verse 5 we read, But if a mass servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then it was a formal pro 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 procedure that... Uh, a legal procedure he would go through. They'd go to the judges to make sure this was all official. And the master would go and bring the judges to the house where he lived and go up to the doorpost of the house and drive an awe through the, the servant's ears, okay? And that symbol represented the fact that he was free to go and he chose to stay. He's still a slave, but he chose to stay. That's the point. He could have left totally free, but he loved his master and his children and his wife, and he chose to stay. It was, so it was voluntary. I love my master, and he made a lifelong commitment to his master. So 
So he went from being a temporary slave to a permanent slave at the doorpost of the master's house. I fulfilled all my obligations, but I'm choosing to stay. This relates to another verse. If you, if you happen to be going through uh, daily bread as I am now, we're into the 40s, I guess, in terms of Psalms, uh, you know, marching right through. And I encourage you to do it. It's, it's, it's doable. You can do it in a half an hour and go through the whole Bible in a year. Anyway, Psalm 40. Turn with me just to a verse because this was a recent one. Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is called a messianic psalm. And uh, in the first uh, three verses, the Lord, the, David, who's the psalmist, is uh, expressing prophetically how the Lord Jesus Christ felt when he was raised from the dead. He, wrote, he raised me out of a miry pit, uh, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. A horrible pit. So David is kind of saying that prophetically concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, how he felt, Lord Jesus felt, when he was raised from the dead. And then down to verse 6, he's reflecting, the Lord's reflecting on Calvary. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. And the, uh, prophetically, this is Jesus speaking concerning his anticipation of the cross of his life here on earth and in the cross. And he opened my ear. What does that speak of? He's the one who could go free and chose because he loved his master to become a bond servant. He's expressing his love for the master. Jesus is expressing his love for his father. God opened his ear, so to speak. Okay, it's kind of poetic language. But the point is, Jesus was a bond servant to his father in love. He served him. He was a servant. You see, and he comes to this earth. What does he become? The bond servant again. But he's at to his, toward his father as well. Here am I. Send me. We read in, in Isaiah. Who will go for us? Here am I. Send me. I'm the servant. Okay, and that's that's the point. And this opening the ears, speaking of this little. There's few verses in Exodus concerning the opportunity to either go free. I love my master. I will not go free. You see, so that's, that's a key to understanding the 40th Psalm. It's beautiful. He's bonded to his father in love. Paul, uh, the apostle Paul uh, refers to himself as a bond servant. Peter, at the beginning of 2 Peter, reserves, uh, refers to himself as a bond servant. Jude refers to himself as a bond servant. These various servants of the Lord took their place as bond servants. And you know, step back, this is the whole point of my message this morning, is that you trust Christ as your personal savior. You're free from the penalty of sin. Fantastic. You're free. You, the redemption price has been paid. 
but now, do you want to stay with the master or not? It's an, you're free to go. And as far as Peter and Paul and Jude were concerned, they would stay servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. They chose to stay. It was voluntary. It was not forced to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was voluntary. And so we have the opportunity to choose freely, voluntarily, to continue to be servants of the one who has redeemed us, interestingly enough. We could be his servants and serve him, or we can just go our way and be free. I think that's interesting. We have this choice. I mean, because some people just take that, uh, you know, the message of salvation. Okay, I trust Jesus as my Savior, and they go and continue the same life. Okay, they've they've gone out and they've chosen to be free. Others have taken it and said, I choose to serve my new master, to serve God in any way that I can, and I want to be that servant. Pagans had a custom of branding a slave with the name or the sign of the owner. And Paul referred to himself as just that kind of a slave in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17. Let me just turn to it. It's a, it's a good verse. Galatians chapter 6, verse 17 reads, uh, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus. And the word marks is a Greek word, means the stigma, uh, stigmata, okay, the marks. But it's not that he had the marks of Jesus like the nail prints in his hands. That's not what he's saying. He, he was beaten up. He was whipped. Uh, he was beaten. He was stoned. So no doubt in his body there were you know, scars all over his body. These were the marks of the fact that he had chosen as a master the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the bondservant of Jesus Christ. And he bore these marks. They weren't fancy tattoos like a cross on his shoulder. Okay, or something uh, cosmetic. It was a result of him going wholeheartedly to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Paul. The Amplified Version reads, it, reads this way, and I think it, it, it just opens it up. It says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. I'm sorry. From now on, let no person trouble me by making it necessary for me to vindicate my apostolic authority and the divine truth of my gospel. For I bear on my body the brand marks of the Lord Jesus, the wounds, scars, and other outward, outward evidence of persecutions. These testify to his ownership of me. Isn't that fantastic? Because he was beaten for Jesus' sake, he could say, look at the wounds in my body because of the persecution. These testify to his ownership of me. It's more than a tattoo. It's more than a necklace. He was serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He made, you know, Jesus kind of, Jesus has set the example of servitude 
He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. We read that in Philippians. He sets the example, and Paul, following him, the same example, becomes a bondservant to him. And we, in turn, should be bondservants to him as well. That's the invitation, but it's voluntary. Have we come to the Lord, so to say, in a, in not a, in a physical way, but in a spiritual way, say, uh, I, I love my master, my wife, my children. I will not go out free. I'll serve him. Have we taken that step? You see, that's the challenge this morning. Have we taken that step? I was trying to, uh, thinking about how to end this, uh, that, 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 simple, that simple challenge, you know, are we going to tell the Lord, I love you, I will not go out free? And I was saying, well, when it comes to servitude, what can you say? Well, the best thing is to be an example. And you have two wonderful elders here, Dave and Rod, and I can't think of any better examples in this assembly of servant leaders. But you know, you, some of you are young people, and many of us are married. And the question is, are we going to be servants to our spouses? Uh, or better yet, let me let me put a challenge to you who are single. You're looking for a bride. What do you look for in a bride, or not a, a girlfriend? Okay, at this point, maybe it's a bride. But you're looking for someone to mate with for the rest of your life. Okay, what do you look for? Well, why not look for a servant? Someone who has a servant attitude. And this goes to the girls towards the guys and the guys towards the girls. Why not look for someone with a servant's attitude? Brother, why not be a servant <laughs> and, and demonstrate that attitude? And you can do it here in the assembly. I mean, there's, uh, I know Rod's always talking about little things that need to be done. Dave, too. Uh, little things that need to be done where there's not much... Uh, great job, you know, not much cheering after you've done them. Uh, small things, it could be as simple as being a Sunday school teacher or helping in a one or helping with the, uh, the kids, the great uh, kids ministries we have here or in the great uh, ministry to the, uh, the older folks. Uh, it could be simply providing hospitality to those who need hospitality. A lot of things can be done if you have the servant's attitude. And, you know, if you're looking for, young people, if you're looking for a spouse, you look for someone with a servant's attitude. Um, you can be either a servant or you're selfish. I mean, there's was, was really hardly any in-between. Now, if two bond servants are married together, there's an advantage to this. Because when you need help, your partner's going to help you. When they need help, you're going to help them. See, two are stronger than one in, 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 a, in a godly marriage. Uh, you're supporting each other, and that counts for a lot. This, this, the servant's attitude is a superb foundation for a happy marriage. And it's true if you're married, uh, having the same servant's attitude. Uh, that is, you're there to support your spouse, and your spouse... God willing, if, it's a, if, if he or she is spiritual, will be there to support you as well. And it's an exercise in living the Christian life, saying, I'm going to be a bondservant to my Savior. 
and I'm going to demonstrate it by their bond service to you. That's the whole point. I want to finish just a little bit early this morning. There's a hymn, and it's not in our books, and I'm simply going to read it to you, uh, by Francis Ridley Havergill. Uh, Francis Havergill was a poet, a songwriter, and she's a contemporary of Fanny Crosby. And she wrote hymns like, Take My Life and Let It Be, uh, Like a River Glorious, I Gave My Life for Thee, Who Is on the Lord's Side. She wrote some pretty famous hymns, and a lot of them are in her book. But she wrote one that nobody's ever seen. I think the last time it was published was back in the early 1900s. It goes like this. It's called, I Love, I Love My Master. I love, I love my master. I will not go out free. For he is my redeemer. He paid the price for me. I would not leave his service. It is so sweet and blessed. And in the weariest moments, he gives the truest rest. My master shed his lifeblood, my vassal life to win, and save me from the bondage of tyrant, self, and sin. He chose me for his service and gave me power to choose that blessed, perfect freedom which I shall never lose. I would not have have half my service, his only it must be, his only who so loved me and gave himself for me. Rejoicing and adoring, henceforth my song shall be. I love, I love my master and will not go out free. Francis Ridley Havergal. So I, I put it before you now as we close, we're going to close in prayer in just a moment, and that is, if, if you want freedom from some lust, passion, worldly trapping that you're caught into, you can only find it in Christ by coming to him and in faith, trusting him as your personal savior and redeemer. You get two, three things. One is you get freedom from the penalty of the sin because he bore it all on Calvary. He paid the redemption price, which was his own blood. You have the power deal with that besetting sin because he gives you his word his promises and the power of the Holy Spirit and soon he'll take us from the presence of sin to be with himself so you have that choice to choose him as your savior if you have now you have the freedom to go out and live your life any way you want you selfish as you want or you can say I love I love my master I will not go out free that's your choice so this morning has been just a series of choices for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray you bless it to our hearts and impress on us, Lord, that this is for eternity. The decisions that we make today will last for eternity. We could be a blessing to those around us, or we could be a great source of testing and trial and trouble. Help us to choose what's best for you, and Lord, we know that we best for us. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for each family represented here today. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you.